Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, if you would, please take out the Word of God and turn in it to Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you under a chair, and you could grab that and turn in that Bible to page 12, and you would be at Matthew chapter 12. You know, it's not news to most of us that heart disease is a big, big problem. I don't know if you knew it or not, but heart disease is the number one cause of death worldwide. It is the number one cause of death in the USA. One out of every three people who die in the United States die from heart issues. And a person dies from heart issues in our country every 40 seconds. And many of us have personally experienced some heart issues in our life, or we have had a family member who has experienced those heart issues. And I think it is safe to say that in the physical realm, heart issues are the issue. But what is interesting is that when you peer into Scripture, when you look into the spiritual realm, we find also in the spiritual realm, heart issues are the issue. Before we get to chapter 12, I want you to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. These are words that Jesus himself says, and I want you to listen to the heart issues here. He says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Heart issues really are the issue. And even even those of us who know Jesus and follow Jesus, we are exhorted to be aware of and alert to our spiritual heart. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this to those of us who know God, above all else, guard your what? Heart, for it affects everything you do. We are continuing our series that we have entitled First Responders today. It's a series that focuses on Matthew chapter 11 and also Matthew chapter 12. We get that name from those who are first on the scene as Jesus launches his ministry and how they responded to him. And today we've come to chapter 12 and we're going to be looking at the first 14 verses of chapter 12. And I would like to read those first 14 verses and invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read. Verse 1 says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read the law, that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. 
But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. I've given this title to the message today, Heart Issues Are The Issue. And as you look at the Gospels, you will find that there were two core responses to Jesus in the Gospels. There are some who humble their heart before him, and there are others who harden their heart toward him. Now, I want you to know that those two core responses to the person of Jesus were not just responses in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, in Bible times. They are the same two core responses that people have today. There are those, when they look at the person of Jesus, who humble their heart before him, and there are those who harden their heart toward him. Now, now in the passage we have before us today, we're going to see the, the Pharisees pop up, and we're going to see that the Pharisees' response is the second response, and that is to harden their heart toward Jesus. If we wanted to divide up the first 14 verses of chapter 12, we could do it this way. In the first eight verses, we have Jesus' authority over the Sabbath. And then in verses 9 to 14, we have Jesus' authority over affliction. And so we want to begin by looking at that first section, Jesus' authority over the Sabbath. And one thing we are going to see, men and women, and I want you to note this up front, we're going to see in this section of Scripture that legalism wreaks havoc with the heart. Legalism wreaks havoc with the heart. Now, Matthew 12 finds a parallel section to this, a parallel account in Mark 2 and Luke 6, and we're going to draw a little bit from those accounts as we look at Matthew 12. Notice verse 1 begins this way. It says, at that time, we would say it in our language, it was about that time that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, it's important to understand, apart from the city of Jerusalem proper, there really were no paved streets. When you were moving through the countryside, you would be moving through other people's, other farmers' fields. You might move through grain fields. It was just the normal thing of the day. And that's what Jesus and the disciples were doing on this particular Sabbath. And notice it says there that his disciples became hungry and they began to pick the heads of grain and to eat. They began to, as they were walking through and there was this stalk of wheat, they would grab the the heads of the grain there, pull them off. We learn from Luke 6 that they kind of rubbed them together to help get the outer part of the grain rubbed off, and then they would pop that into their mouth to eat. 
Now, it's important for us to understand they were not breaking the Old Testament Scripture. We learn from Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 25 that this was allowed by Old Testament law. You know, if you were walking through the grain fields on your way someplace, and it was even your neighbor's grain field, you were allowed to grab maybe a stalk of wheat and then take that and pop that into your mouth. I mean, remember, there, there were no McDonald's, there were no Kentucky Fried Chickens all over the place. Um, you know, it's just, it, they didn't have that, all that fast food stuff anywhere. And so this was a way, if you were traveling and you were a little bit hungry, you could get a snack. But here's one I want you to see in verse 12. When the Pharisees saw this, you will remember that the Pharisees were the self-appointed guardians of righteousness in the day. They were the ones who loved to evaluate everyone else, what everyone else was doing. They were the religious policemen, but religious policemen who often failed to evaluate themselves. They were the legalists of the day. And remember, legalism wreaks havoc with the heart. And and, and it's interesting what it says at the end of verse 1. It says, they began to pick the heads of grain and eat. It wasn't like they had been doing this for 30 minutes. They were just starting to do it. And apparently the Pharisees were there lurking. (laughs) We see it, we see it. And so they say to him in verse 2, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. Now we need to freeze frame for just a moment because we need to unpack this whole idea of the Sabbath a little bit. May I remind you that the commandments contained one commandment out of ten that related to the Sabbath. You remember that. The ten commandments, one of the commandments was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God instituted the Sabbath day as a special gift to his followers. It was to be a day in which there is rest from labor, a day which you set aside to be refreshed, a day that you would set aside to refocus on your relationship with God. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But what is interesting is it is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is ceremonial in nature, not moral in nature. And one of the things that the Pharisees did is they elaborated on all of the commandments, but boy, did they really get after the commandment to remember the Sabbath day. In chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 28, Jesus had said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And what he was really talking about was this whole plethora of rules that the Pharisees had developed. In the Talmud, which is the uh, commentary, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament scriptures, they had, they had developed all kinds of stuff on this. God had said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Have a little rest, get refreshed, refocus on your relationship with me. Well, what they did in the Talmud is they greatly expanded on this. They came up with, get this, 24 chapters in the Talmud on rules related to the Sabbath. They came up with 39 categories of forbidden activity on the part of the people on the Sabbath day. They developed this quagmire of restrictions. And what God had designed to simply be a day of rest became a day of insufferable burdens. 
You can't do this, 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 on and on and on and on and on. For example, one of the things that they said, on the Sabbath day, you cannot light a fire. You cannot extinguish a fire. One other thing they said on the Sabbath day is you cannot spit. And you might think, well, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, you know, it's kind of a disgusting thing to do. That's not the the reason why they said that. They said you cannot spit because if you spit, you might be guilty of actually sowing because you're adding moisture to what could be a seed on the ground. No spitting allowed. They would say on the Sabbath day, it's okay to wear clothes. And we're all thinking, well, man, I'm glad that was true. You know, can you imagine if that was a rule today that we couldn't assemble together in the name of Jesus if we were wearing clothes. I mean, I wouldn't be here, I'll tell you that right now, and probably you wouldn't be here either. They said it's okay to wear clothes on the Sabbath, but, oh, but to carry some clothes on the Sabbath, oh, no, that is forbidden. They said you cannot take a bath on the Sabbath because if you're taking a bath and maybe some water spills out on the floor, you might consider that washing the floor. You can't do that. One other rule they came up with was this one. I I love this one. You can only take 1,100 steps from your house on the Sabbath day. You know, if you go 1,101, whoa, violation, violation. Can you imagine what happened on the Sabbath day? What were people doing? They were counting their steps. I don't want to violate the Sabbath. I don't want to take one step beyond the 1,100 from my home that I'm allowed to take. Now, there are some, some expansions in the, in the Old Testament about the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 21, it says you cannot harvest your crops on the Sabbath day. I mean, that would be true work, right? And that was the whole idea, to get some rest and a break from your labor. Yeah, you can't harvest your crops. But the Pharisees, oh, they really got after it. Here's what they said. If you go through a field and you grab some grain you know, off of one stalk of wheat. That's harvesting. Can't do it on Sabbath. If you were to rub that grain in your hands like that to get the outer shell off, that's threshing the grain. Can't do that on a Sabbath day. If you then turn, pop that uh, grain into your mouth, that is preparing a meal. You can't prepare a meal on the Sabbath day. It's amazing, this myriad of just incredible regulations they came up with. And here's the essence of what the Pharisees did. Listen here. What they did is they added human tradition to the Old Testament scriptures. And not only did they add the human tradition to the Old Testament scriptures, they put it on a par with the scriptures. And you know that there are some churches and some legalists today who do exactly the same thing. They take human tradition, put it right beside the Scriptures, and worse, they put it on a par with the Scriptures. That's why when Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in his first letter in chapter 4 and verse 6, he said to the church, don't exceed what is written. Don't do this thing where we take human tradition and we put it up on the same level with the Word of God. And you know, a telltale sign of religious legalism is when somebody, a church, a group, individuals, start to major on the minors, where they start to get, come up with this elaborate myriad of rules that must be followed. You don't find it in the Bible, but they've got them all listed there. And legalists enjoy tightening the screws on other people, often overlooking their own heart issues, just like 
the Pharisees. Oh, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. And it's interesting, in verse 3, Jesus responds to them with a question. He says, have you not read what David did? Now, this is a little dig by Jesus on the Pharisees because they fancied themselves as the experts of the law. And he says, hey, guys, did you not read this part? Did you, did you miss this part? He says, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for David to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Now, the background of all this, the backdrop of this is 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter number 21, verses 1 to 6. And uh, it's important to understand that David was considered the number one spiritual hero of the day. And in 1 Samuel 21, he had been anointed as king by Samuel, but he is on the run with his men from King Saul, who's out to get David, who would be his successor. And what happens is they come into the tabernacle and they eat the consecrated bread that was in the tabernacle. He said, what does the consecrated bread? Well, what they would do every week is they would bake 12 loaves of bread. They would set them out. And those 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, when it came time to replace those 12 loaves every week with 12 new loaves, what God said was, God's directive was, those replaced loaves should only be eaten by the priests. But here, David and his men who are on the lamb, they eat those loaves who were being replaced. And what's interesting is you go back and you, you read about it, there's never a sanction from the Lord that comes on David for doing that. And the reason why is the needs of David and his men were more important than ceremonial regulations. And, and, and there's a little implication going on here, a little hint. You know, Jesus is sort of comparing himself a little bit with David. David and his men, the religious Ceremonial regulations aren't as important as the needs of people. And now you have Jesus and his men, and the needs of Jesus and the 12 are more important than these ritual laws you guys have come up with. And there's a little hint here that Jesus is comparing himself to David. And I think probably the Pharisees are going, no. is he implying? Here's the principle. The principle is that people are more important than religious regulations. People in the Old Testament times, in the New Testament times, and in our day are more important than religious regulations. Look at verse 5. Jesus basically says, hey, I want you to consider another scripture. How about this one, guys? Have you, have you read this one? Have you not read the law that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath? And they are innocent. What's he talking about? Well, well, for temple priests, the Sabbath day was a work day, right? Uh, they would be like some of our pastors today. You know, on, on the special day of assembly, they would have to teach from the Scriptures. That was work. They would not only have to do that, but they would have to light a fire to prepare a sacrifice 
a burnt offering. Then they would have to slaughter the animals. Then they would have to take the carcass of the animal and put it up on the altar to have the burnt offering. And they did that two times on a Sabbath day. Why was that not a violation? Jesus is asking them. Well, again, the principle and the implication is that the true worship of God is more important than religious regulations. True worship has to happen. It's more important than religious regulations. And then Jesus says a startling little statement in in verse 6. He says, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Now, Now, you have to understand the way the Pharisees are thinking. He was kind of making these hints about Jesus and David, kind of parallel. And then he makes this statement, something greater than the temple is here. And they're going, what? Whoa. What does he mean? Because they believe the only thing greater than the temple, the Pharisees would say, is God himself. And Jesus just said, someone greater than the temple is here. Like, is he, is he implying something here? It sure seems that he is. And then notice in verse 7, and basically in verse 7, his message to them is, frankly, Pharisees, you flat don't get it. You don't get it, guys. He says in verse 7, if you had known what this means, and I'm going to quote a phrase from the Old Testament, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. He's quoting from Hosea 6.6. The whole verse reads like this. God speaking, Yahweh God in the Old Testament. I delight in mercy, not sacrifice, in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In fact, what God was communicating there in Hosea is this. When people indifferently and mindlessly go through religious motions, it makes me sick. I get sick to my stomach because heart issues are the issue with God. By the way, this is a very clear emphasis throughout the Old Testament. I want you to keep your fingers in Matthew. Go with me to the book of Isaiah in chapter number one. Isaiah is a little bit to the right in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 1, and I want to look in Isaiah 1 at verses 11 to 17. And this is Yahweh God speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says this in verse 11, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says Yahweh God? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. I mean, God is the one who instituted the sacrificial system. And he says, I am not impressed. When you come to appear before me, verse 12, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? You don't understand the way I look at things. Bring, verse 13, your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moon and Sabbath, just the days, special holy days, the calling of assemblies. I can't, here's the first hint we have of the problem. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. You're coming and doing all this religious stuff with dirty hands and dirty minds and dirty mouths. And I can't endure that. 
He says in verse 14, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. All these feasts even that God directed that they do. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. It makes me sick, is really what he's saying to the nation of Israel. So here's what happens. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply those prayers over and over again, I'm not listening Why? Your hands are covered with blood. You're coming to me non-repentant. Your heart isn't right at all. What do you need to do? Verse 16, you need to wash yourselves. You need to, to repent. You need to confess. You need to make yourselves clean. You need to remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. What God was saying in Isaiah One is, your heart is wrong, your heart is hard. Heart issues are the issue. God is not ultimately concerned with our spiritual rituals, but with our spiritual hearts. Heart issues are the issue. Does God want me to be baptized after I believe? Does God want me to attend church? Does God want me to partake of communion? Does God want me to invest in his kingdom? Does God want me to memorize scripture? Does God want me to read the Bible? Does God want me to come and listen to the Bible being taught? Yes, but he's most concerned about our heart. And he doesn't want us to be doing those things in an indifferent, mindless way. Now go back to Matthew chapter 12. And with all that being communicated, he says in verse 7, you guys don't get it. Then he makes this statement in verse 8. He says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And you know what they were doing? They were going, did he just say that? He'd been implying things up to this point. Did he just say that? That the son of the man is the Lord? What he implied before is now clear. He basically said this, since I'm God, I can clarify the rules about the Sabbath. It's a shocking statement for Jesus to make in their eyes. Which leads us to the second part of our section where we see Jesus' authority over affliction. Look at verse 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. He's going to provide proof that he indeed is the Lord of the Sabbath day. And you see these Pharisees as Jesus goes into the synagogue, they're trailing behind Jesus like a pack of coyotes. And in verse 10, there was a man there in the synagogue whose hand was withered, he was deformed, and they questioned Jesus asking, hey Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And you know what goes on to say, because they wanted to accuse him. Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And we learn from Luke chapter 6 and verse 8 that Jesus knew what was up. He knew what they were doing. And so he responds again with a question in verse 11. He said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, like you have one sheep, and it falls into a pit? into a ditch where it can't get out on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? You got a sheep, it goes into a pit, it's going to die in there if you don't get it out. 
which one of you won't just grab that sheep and pull it out? And the answer would be, no one. We're all going to do that. Well, notice verse 12. He says, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Ooh, it got real quiet. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? The principle is people are more important than religious regulations. It was true in the Old Testament. It was true in the New Testament. It is true today. People are more important than religious regulations. Look at the latter part of the verse. So then, Jesus said, since you asked the question, here's the answer. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I'm sure the emphasis, as he said it, was on the word is. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. We learn from the parallel passage in Mark chapter 3 that at this point the Pharisees kept silent. I mean, what were they going to say? And it goes on to say that as they kept silent, Jesus was looking at them. I'm sure there was eye contact with every one of them slowly. He, he was looking at them, it says, in anger, grieved, listen to this, at their hardness of heart. Heart issues are the issue. And then he takes action. Verse 13, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored. It was healed to normal just like the other. And what's the response of the Pharisees? Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out. Remember, these are the guys who fancy themselves as the Lord's plural of the Sabbath. And they had just been corrected publicly. And the Pharisees went out, it says, and conspired against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. Now, we get a little more insight from Mark chapter 3 because it says they went out and they began, this is fascinating, conspiring with the Herodians about how they might take Jesus out. The Herodians were the secular worldly political party who lined up under Herod who was on the throne. The Herodians were the arch enemies of the Pharisees. But they said, you know what? I don't care if we got a conspire with our arch enemies. We're getting rid of this dude. We're getting rid of this guy. Now remember, there are two core responses to Jesus in the Gospels. There are those who humble their heart before him, and there are those who harden their heart toward him. And again, we have the same two responses today. Same two responses today. And maybe there's some folks listening to this message. Maybe there's even some people who are present today. I don't know. But maybe you've had the privilege of hearing God's word. Maybe you've had the privilege through God's word of viewing the evidence of the miracles that Jesus performed when he was on the planet. Maybe you, because of your exposure to the word of God, have had the opportunity to face the evidence for the resurrection, which authenticates all of Jesus' claims. And yet your response has been to harden your heart toward Jesus. And if that be true, I would like you to hearken back to chapter 11 of Matthew, verses 20 to 24, where it basically says that apart from a relationship with a living God, here's the truth. Judgment awaits. You see, it's not a matter of keeping detailed rules and regulations. It's a matter of trusting in Jesus as our rescuer from sin and judgment. 
And even if you've never done it before, you have an opportunity to make eternal decision today by trusting in Christ, by humbling your heart before him. You know, I've oftentimes said it this way, salvation in the Bible is not spelled D-O, something we have to do. Do, 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 do all over the place. It's not spelled that way. There's not enough that we can do. It's spelled D-O-N-E. Salvation in the Bible is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It was all done by Jesus. He made all of the work. He did everything. And then he says, it is a gift I will give to you if you will trust in me. These two responses. Now, I'm confident that most of us have already humbled our heart before Jesus. So here's a couple of life lessons I think we can learn from. So write these down. These are important. First life lesson is this. Don't be victimized by legalism. Don't be victimized by legalism. Listen to me carefully here. Run from churches, run from groups, run from spiritual leaders who elevate human tradition onto a par with Scripture. Run from churches, run from groups, run from spiritual leaders who major on minor things. Those who develop this elaborate myriad of rules that must be followed in order to be accepted with God. See, God has never been impressed with empty religious motions. He is concerned about our hearts. Legalism wreaks havoc with the heart. So don't be victimized by legalism. Life lesson number two for those of us who know Christ, is this. Guard your heart. Again, Proverbs 4.23, we referred to it earlier. Above all else, most important thing we can be doing, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. How do you do that? I'm a practical guy. How do you guard your heart? Well, Verse 23 in Proverbs 4 is followed by verse 24, 25, 26, and 27. It's worth going and studying that a little bit and reflecting on that. Because if we're going to guard our heart, it tells us we need to learn to guard our eyes, where our focus is. We need to guard our mouth, what comes out of our mouth. If we're going to guard our heart, we need to guard our feet, where we go. There are some places and some people that are to be avoided If we're going to guard our heart, we regularly need to be like David. You know what David would do is he would regularly, prayerfully go before God and ask God to examine his heart. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is what David would do on a regular basis. And I don't know how long it's been since some of us have done this, where we go before God and we say, search me, O God, and know my what? My heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. Guard your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the word of God, how it is alive and how it is powerful. We would pray that we would be men and women who truly do guard our hearts on a regular basis. We thank you for the victory, the salvation that Jesus won. We thank you that he gives it to us as a gift. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 